0: All right, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, Welcome in. Today, um, this morning, we'll just be continuing our Equipping Hour series. The current series is based off of a book by the author Jerry Bridges. It's called Respectable Sins. Um, If this is your first time uh, joining us for Equipping Hour, do not be alarmed. We are not saying that sin is okay, there is no respectable sins, just to put it out there for you. Um, but the whole premise of Bridges, Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, is to highlight some of the sins that we as believers um, may let go fly under the radar, the more subtle sins, uh, the sins that we might convince ourselves to be more appropriate or acceptable. So that's kind of what our series is on. Um, and before I get into it, let me, let me just open this up in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Father, I pray that you would be magnified and that you would be exalted this morning. Uh, for you are worthy of praise. You are almighty. You are all-knowing. You're the creator of the world. You are incredibly worthy to be praised, Lord. And I pray that through our lesson today, through our discussion, you would be magnified, you would be exalted. Um, May today's lesson and discussion uh, serve the saints as we ourselves reflect on um, these respectable sins. And I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Alright, so as I was mentioning, respectable sins, those sins that are subtle, those that we've made out to be acceptable uh, to ourselves, uh, we've covered a couple of them so far, uh, I think we've had two lessons so far, does anyone remember which of the respectable sins that we've covered? There's uh, five in total, you don't, you don't have to mention them in order, but there's five of them that we've covered already, with help from David. frustration yep anxiety frustration discontentment was last week um from tim does anybody remember two weeks ago when matt boyd taught Didi? yeah yeah ungodliness ungratefulness un- uh unthankfulness same thing but yeah so we had ungodliness unthankfulness And then last week, we had anxiety, frustration, and discontentment. And this week, um, or today, we'll be covering the respectable sins of pride and selfishness. Pride and selfishness. Um, But before we even dive into those two sins, um, I do want to remind us, and hopefully this is how you guys are posturing yourself as you attend Quipping Hour, Um, This is not just a study on sin. We're not just purely taking a deep dive into particular sins and dissecting them and finding out all the nuances of how they could crop up. But, of course, as we study the sin and as we realize the complexities, the deceitfulness of these specific sins, uh, our hope is towards application. We want to be able to find out and, and understand these sins rightly, how the Lord sees them, um, but we also want to find out how are we to fight these sins, how are we to, how do we, how do we put them to death um, is the main goal, of course, um, and to do that, today I want to bring out a little tool uh, before I begin talking about the two sins we have laid out, I want to bring out a tool that Jerry Bridges mentions um, in the first few chapters of his book. He has uh, six chapters that kind of introduce sin, uh, the mal- malignancy of sin, and then he uh, he offers remedies to it. Uh, this is just one of the points that he brings out uh, that I want to draw out today and, and introduce to you guys, which is quite simply, we just apply the gospel. Uh, it's pretty simple in, in, uh, in concept, uh, I'm sure most of you guys in here um, have a... Firm or some some degree of understanding of what the gospel is, um, but Jerry Bridges asserts that to put sin to death, the very first step is that we apply the gospel. And how does one apply the gospel? How does one, he mentions, preach the gospel to themselves? Um, and I'll, I'll lay that out for you really quickly. And uh, throughout the lesson today, hopefully you'll see aspects of how the gospel works uh, to put sin to death in our life. So how does one apply the gospel? You could go about and say this, well, there is a holy God, an almighty creator. He is without blemish. He's perfect. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is a holy and set-apart God, and he made us, but we rebelled against him in sin. And in sin, we we rejected God who made us, who is worthy of all praise, and we, we despised him, um, and we were condemned. We were headed towards eternal condemnation. But God, in his loving nature, he sent his son, the God-man Jesus Christ, to die for us uh, so that we would be forgiven of our sins, that we would have new life as we are united to him. And of course, Jesus having died and being raised again and being and ascending to heaven he left us with the holy spirit the the third person of the trinity and the spirit is continually sanctifying us and helping us to um, understand god's word and he is uh, helping us as we continue to live our lives here until christ returns so that would be the gospel i'm sure many of you guys are familiar with that Uh, but why is the gospel relevant to our lesson today i kind of alluded to it earlier saying that it helps us to put sin to death. But how exactly does the gospel help us to do that? Well, today's lesson on pride and, and selfishness, um, these are two very self-focused kind of sins. Uh, you'll realize as we go through this series, uh, each lesson is, is grouping sins together that, that, ha- that show some kind of similarity, some common thread between them. And today's two sins, pride and selfishness, have a very self-focused kind of theme there. Uh, As opposed to maybe last week where we are responding to our circumstances with uh, anxiety, frustration, discontentment. That's kind of like a response to circumstance. Um, Pride and selfishness are very much ingrained into our own sinful nature. Um, So as we take that to heart, as we recognize that, um, hopefully, we'll see throughout the lesson that the gospel will address that. Will address the self focus self-centeredness of these two sins. Um, I draw from I'll draw from Ephesians five, as Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. He says that uh, we ought to expose sin by the light, uh, the gospel light, the the word of God, to make sin visible. So that is our goal today, as we as we dissect pride and selfishness, Uh, we want to bring into the light what is being harbored in our hearts, what is deceitful, so that we may be cleansed of it. Um, So does anyone have any questions before we get into pride? Any questions? Perfect. All right, so our first sin for today is pride. So what is pride? I'm going to ask for a couple readers. I need three readers first one for luke 18 verse 9 jeff thank you luke 18 verse 9 i have second reader for romans 12 verse 16 matt Boyd, thank you and then romans 12 verse 3 tom thank you and jeff you can go ahead so jesus is telling this parable uh, regarding those who trusted in themselves that they're righteous and treated others with contempt. Uh, in this specific reference jesus uh, or the gospel luke is referencing the the pharisees uh, if you read through the new testament or you read through the gospels you you would know the pharisees are a proud bunch uh, if you think of the sin of pride automatically your mind goes to the pharisees uh, and they trusted in themselves uh, that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt is what Luke 18 says uh, Romans 12 16 Matt so
1: associate with the never, never be wise in your own
0: so living in harmony with another do not be haughty or in other words arrogant or disdainful with the lowly, and never be wise in your own sight. So we're already kind of building some categories uh, for how we understand pride. Uh, Romans twelve three and Tom.
2: I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to
3: think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith of God of
0: son. Thank you. So say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And it's kind of from this verse that I'll draw out our working definition of pride for our lesson today. And the working definition of pride is this. Pride involves exalting, the exalting of oneself beyond what is deserved or true of reality. Again, the definition or working definition of pride today. Pride is, pride involves exalting oneself beyond what is deserved or true of reality. And if anyone is unclear as to what the word exalting means, exalting is just simply to lift up, to elevate, to to glorify. And we already, if you're familiar with pride, as I'm sure you all are, um, pride is not just limited to exalting ourselves or lifting ourselves up above others. Of course, that is very often how it comes out how it manifests in our day-to-day lives we exalt ourselves over other people Um, but it's definitely not limited to that but definitely including exalting oneself over the lord over god Um, and we i just want to take a little pause to bring us back to ungodliness from the first lesson Uh, does anyone remember what ungodliness is how we were defining it back in our first lesson ungodliness or godlessness What is that? Jeff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Going through your day as if God doesn't exist or not even acknowledging him. Um, So Jerry Bridges, he kind of pins ungodliness as the root of sin. And then if you follow that kind of imagery, he says that pride is the trunk. If we have the roots then pride shoots up and is the trunk, and then the rest of the sins kind of come out from there. Um, so let's let's work a little bit back upstream to ungodliness from pride. If there are temptations to think of myself as better, or temptations to exalt myself, uh, that probably means that I think that there's no higher being. There's no better person. Right? If I'm better than people, if I'm better than God, Uh, There's really no one left to be at the top of the food chain. I am the best. I am better than everyone. Um, And if we take into account, again, like Jeff said, that ungodliness is kind of the absence of God, pride pride is a step along that path, that form of sin. Not only have we exalted ourselves above God, you could argue that pride, in our pride, we've replaced God. We've become God ourselves. We are the top. We are the best. And I'm sure if hearing that, you're nodding your heads, that, that is sin to not only put yourself above God, but to completely replace him. That's, that sounds ridiculous to us Christians. Like, Why would we ever replace God in our day-to-day lives? What would even be some of the consequences let's let's take some time to flesh that out what does what does replacing God mean for us what would be some of the consequences of doing that if I were to say no God, I'll be God what would that mean for us in the world we make
1: ourselves
0: Yeah, so we are the highest authority. We don't answer to anyone else, right? No one keeping us accountable. Didi?
1: Put ourselves in control. We've got everything under control. Yeah,
0: yeah we put ourselves in control. We're, we're in the driver's seat. We've got a hold of the steering wheel of life and other people's lives if we're going to go and apply that to other people. Annalie? That we might be all powerful, which we know very, very, very quickly that's not the case. But in that case, if we were to replace God, then we would need to be all powerful. Um, I think Tim.
1: Um, We we find our own honor.
0: Every single offense that comes against you is, is against you and you alone. Um, and we certainly don't have the grace or patience or mercy that God has. I think uh, Jeff and then Matt finished that. Yeah, we replace uh,
1: God's wisdom with our own
0: wisdom. Yeah, yeah. We're replacing God's infinite wisdom with our finite little brains. Uh, very scary thought. Matt? We
1: could start justifying treating other
0: people poorly for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah, so we get to justify how to treat others. We suddenly in our hands is the power to determine right and wrong, good and evil. That's that's in our hands when we replace God. Um, so already we see as extremely problematic if you did not if you came in today not really thinking that pride was a sin. You you very clearly see it now that there is that is no way to live that is um, complete and utter catastrophe right there. So as we as we continue on, keep these things in mind. Um, pride is not only exalting yourself above God, but in a sense you are kind of replacing your replacing God in the moment of how you are. However, that that sin of pride comes up. So we can move on to uh, what can pride look like. And uh, there are a lot of ways that pride manifests itself, um, being the, the trunk of the tree of sin. Um, but today, I want to focus on four ways that pride manifests itself, four ways that Jerry Bridges kind of draws out for us. Uh, starting with the first one, uh, which is the pride of achievement. So the pride of achievement is feeling that your accomplishments and efforts are better than others'. It kind of comes out in the form of, look what I've done. Look at me. I did this myself. I did this by my own power, strength, and control. This is, this is all me. Look at me. Look what I did. But as believers, we, we understand and we trust and we know that it is God who gives strength. And God gives ability and desire, success. He's the one who blesses our efforts. to to help us kind of see this a little better. Imagine, none of them are here, but the college students, imagine you're back in college and uh, you just graduated, right? There's a temptation there when you walk that stage and get your diploma and your tassel is turned. There's a temptation to say, man, I did this all by my own strength. Couple couple coffees a day, uh, maybe you're more disciplined and you get in that exercise to keep yourself physically healthy. Maybe uh, you say, well, I was just born smart. My parents raised me well and and gave me uh, good opportunities, uh, hired tutors, Uh, the desire. Yeah, I've always wanted to get a degree. I've always wanted to finish up this degree. That desire is there, and ultimately the success is all yours, right? Well, we know that is not in fact the case. We know that God is the one not the caffeine, not the, not the friends who help you study, who strengthens you as you endure the four years of undergrad or the two years of uh, schooling. God is the one who blesses you from the moment that you're born with abilities and innate talents. God is the one who gives you desire. I, I can speak for myself sometimes when the going gets rough in college uh, I used to want to give up. It's like, man, this is not worth it anymore to, to have to study for three midterms this week and then have to do projects on top of that. The desire quickly fades if it's just if we're just talking about my own desire. And then success, of course, and the efforts that are blessed, that is, that is God's determination and that's God's decision alone. So we see that God is the one who helps us achieve anything, any any amount of anything? Um, and as we consider achievement more, there's there's a natural result that comes from the pride of achievement. Um, a natural result of the pride of achievement is a disproportionate desire for recognition, or praise, or approval. So let's say you get that diploma. Who do you want to be praised? Think naturally for us uh, in our prideful selves and in our sin. We want the, the glory to be given to me. I want people to say, good job. You, you weathered four years of undergrad. You, you survived all the exams and midterms and projects. Um, you got your internships and, and hours of, of uh, apprenticeship out of the way. You deserve this praise. You are doing a good job and you'll make it. We want Commendation, people to commend us for hard work and faithful service. And that's not wrong in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with wanting approval or recognition, um, especially if it's from God. We we work and we are 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 owed our wages. There's there's approval that comes with that. We are we know that we're called to do all things for the glory of God, relying and it's it's really only his, his approval that matters is what I'm trying to get at here. It's okay to get approval and receive approval from from others around us, um, but if have you ever heard that we work or we yeah we work for the glory or for the audience of one? Have you ever heard of that phrase? The audience of one. As as uh, as many of us do, we might do things for the audience of our families, of our friends, or our peers of our church body, um, but scripture calls us to, to labor, to work for the audience of one, and that one is God. His approval, his praise, his recognition is all that really matters. We, we labor to the effect that when we finally are ascended to heaven as, as Christ brings us home, Truly, in the deepest part of our soul, the the thing that we desire to hear is God telling us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the arms and the presence of your master. That's that's what we ought to strive for. But in our pride, we can't wait until then. In our pride, well, I I want a little recognition now. I've been working hard this past week, preparing, equipping our lesson. I kind of want some recognition. I kind of want some thank yous. (laughs) <laughs> thank you and I'll take those it's uh, you don't want to you don't want to say no like if someone comes up to you after you serve them or did something well you don't want you don't want to just push them away like no 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 no, I can't take your praise it's I, I don't want it I don't, I don't need it but always having our mind being set on on God David.
4: Mm. Yeah. Hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's a really good question. So David's giving the scenario of, I forgot which specific awards show you were mentioning, but I'll say the Oscars. Like you, you get up there. Uh, most people who win their their little uh, award, they give a little speech and say thank you to mom and dad and my, my production team and and yada yada. So, is there a difference between that kind of humility versus a godly humility? Um, I would say there definitely is a difference in where where the I guess where the praise ought to return to or like where the the strength, where the the efforts where they all originate from. I guess in a worldly sense, uh, an unbeliever has no frame of reference for who who provides them strength, who gives them breath, who gives them life each day, who, who ordained certain paths and scenarios and an upbringing for them to get to where they are? Um, you could say maybe it's a little short-sighted in compared to in comparison to godly humility. Um, yeah, the, there is no there's no one above themselves and family and friends and, and co-workers. I think yeah, i
2: They are dependent on others, you know, whether they acknowledge it's God, but they, they recognize still in their fallenness that they're dependent, even though they may not acknowledge it as dependent upon God, but it's still a reflection on their creatureliness.
0: Yeah. yeah, thanks. Matt brings out a good point. So in their, maybe you could call it worldly humility, there still is that reflection of our creaturely dependence. Um, there still is that recognition of the reality that we are just finite creatures um, who can really just sustain ourselves up until a point. And we can help others up until a point. And Matt is kind of bringing out that that um, is a callback, kind of is a, is a cry to how God is the one who sustains us. Um, of course, it's harder to see in, in the world... Um, but we as believers who have that frame of reference understand uh the the source of everything Jeff Thank you. A manifestation of pride the pride of humility we would understand those to be opposites but we we find ourselves doing that we we acknowledge that people like to see a humble person so we will pursue that humility for the purpose of self- exalting um, for the sake of time we're gonna press forward to our second manifestation of pride which is the pride of moral righteousness the pride of moral righteousness the uh, manifest itself in the feeling of moral su- moral superiority with respect to others. It might showcase itself like this. I'm a better person this, than this person. How I act or think or live is better than you is how it might come out. Though you might not say this very explicitly. I hope that you're not going around on the street telling people, I'm a better person than you. I, I live better than you. I, I really hope you don't do that. But Instead, it might come out like this Wow, thank God I'm not living like him or her. Thank God I'm not XYZ. Is this a phrase, or is this phrase an expression of thanksgiving to God for sanctifying you by the Spirit's power? Or is the thank God I'm not XYZ, is it a prideful comparison, putting down someone else? exalting yourself. I think sometimes when we use that phrase, it might not be as, as simple as thanking God, um, but there might be a little sinful, prideful undertone there. And in today's world, uh, sin and worldliness is, is rampant. It's, it's easy to think this way. Even the flagrant sins, they're of course like big bad sins like murder and stealing and homosexuality Uh, maybe there's one step down less big but still very overt normalized worldliness like cussing, cursing drunkenness premarital sex that's becoming more and more normalized but what about the subtle sins we know the world definitely partakes in those but we also share in our subtle sins with them and and uh, an affront on who he is yeah the point there being we are not immune to sin especially these subtle sins if you read through scripture sin is described as deceitful uh, the whole reason we're going through this series the respectable sins is that sin is subtle and deceitful because it causes us uh, pride especially causes us, causes us to overlook other subtle sins that is one of the the chief, chief I guess, uh, facets of pride is that it causes us to overlook other subtle sins. Um, Bridges would even go on to say, in regards to moral self righteousness, pride is subtle to the point that we might even get some perverse enjoy- enjoyment out of discussing how awful society is. When you talk about the big bad sins of the world, or when you talk about young people going out and having premarital sex and you talk about evil and wicked they are is there a sense of perverse enjoyment in your heart when you discuss with fellow believers you guys kind of get all riled up over it in reality our reaction to that should be mourning should be compassion should be a desire for them to know christ it's not a free pass to Pour on the humor, pour on the condemnation, but it is a call for us to to see their state, see that we were once part of the world. We once lived in those footsteps of the world and desire for them to know Christ. That is that is where we should be turning from our moral self-righteousness. Any any questions on that manifestation? Yeah. Uh, it
4: is
1: it does lead to self-self. Uh, when you're morally righteous, you start looking down on somebody. You're condemning them, and, which is really you're kind of hoping that they get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. Which is you know, you're hating. You're hating them. You want them dead. Like you want them to face eternal damnation, which is like the worst. It's that's murder. Mm-hmm. Which is less Yeah,
0: that's a uh, that's an excellent point. We kind of wish that they would get what they deserve. But if we were in their shoes, we, we once were in their shoes, what did we deserve because of sin? We deserve death, eternal condemnation, eternal separation from the Father. That is a very scary and, and weighty thing to wish upon someone. Um, and in our pride, uh, it may not be a very prolonged chain of thought. It might be just in the moment. We, we let something slip. We let a, a thought fly through our brain. But sometimes pride manifests itself in that way too we we are so self-righteous we are pointing down at the unbelieving world and wish that they would uh yeah that they would be be condemned for their sin i appreciate that matt Uh, we're gonna continue moving along for our third manifestation of pride which is the pride of correct doctrine um the pride of correct doctrine feeling that my doctrinal beliefs make me theologically superior to those who hold different beliefs. And I want to be clear, I don't want to overcorrect this sin. Um, there are doctrine, there are parts of our Christian faith that we must hold firm to. There is no negotiating, there is no wiggle room, there is a sense in which our core beliefs are better and superior because they are true in comparison to heresy or things that cults might be um, promoting. So in a sense, we need to uphold that. We herald a true gospel. We herald the the word of God in all its fullness. Um, But then there are doctrines where there might be debate and discussion over Um, And that's where we want to be wary of pride. That's where we want to be wary of of coming across uh, boastful or arrogant to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Examples of some of these doctrines might be uh, your eschatology, uh, how you view the end times, how you interpret the end times. Uh, Maybe you, um, there's eschatology, there's doctrine of grace, um, whether you are a covenantal, List or you are disp- a dispensationalist, you might have differing views there, um, but that is no occasion for us to put down another believer. Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, he he writes to the Corinthians, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So you might ask, why, what, what even is the point of doctrine? Doc, like, Paul, why are, why, are we, why are we condemning the, the puffing up and not the, the knowledge itself? Doctrine is meant to give clarity to different aspects of our Christian faith. Faith that we, as sinners, have received by the grace of God through the love he's displayed through his Son. If we look at doctrine that way, there really is no room for tearing down of other believers. Uh, There really is no reason that we should be puffed up. Again, I'm saying that we we ought not to yield those beliefs that are clear in Scripture, the beliefs that we hold to, that are core to our faith. Uh, But when we come to those that are more highly debated, uh, really have historical kind of differences in in interpretation uh, we ought to do it with humility uh, with a listening ear to our fellow brothers and sisters Uh, we ought not to give a foothold for Satan to create division in our church Um, and we do all this by by being on guard against the pride of uh, our correct doctrine does anyone have any questions on this I know it's a be a hairy one David
2: it's helpful we start to not thinking about it as our doctrine. It's not like we've created this, right? This isn't our thought process. It's looking at God's word who created this. And if we think about it as we've come up with this thing, then I think we are going to be more prone to pride versus thinking, this is the word of God. This is not my word. Is, these are not my ideas. And even if we are the ones that came up with the terminology or
0: No, that's that's a super helpful clarification jeff so jeff's saying we ought not to be puffed up uh, and think that doctrine is a result of our own studies our own thinking our own logic and reasoning um it's not the results of the old church fathers the early church fathers and their furious studying and their their thinking and their collaboration with each other but ultimately it's from god sure like these these church fathers they they were the ones that kind of maybe clarified the, the doctrines a little more helpfully for us today and for people in their time. But even they acknowledged that it was it was not like they created some new mathematical formula. They merely studied what was in scripture and brought it out in more clarity. Um, anyone else? David, yeah. Sure, yeah. tying into
3: what Jeff said, um, I, think, I, mean, I think you're right to contradict in an unbiblical manner, when we're dealing with false teachers or people outside the faith, and there's definitely a number of biblical passages related to that how, how, so I, I think the point is, that I think you can be, even when it's a core doctrine that's not, to your point, not compromising the faith, that's not what we're arguing here, we're supposed to hold fast, but there also is a sense, and obviously Christ was the perfect example of doing this with, um, with you know, the Gospels and how he interacted with people, but there's certainly many examples, I think, of Christians that have not
0: done a good job, and obviously even, I I can think of my own time. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. Um, so, David's kind of drawing out. Uh, we've been talking about kind of uh, being humble and not not being prideful amongst believers, but even in how we present, say, the gospel to unbelievers, uh, we we are not to bludgeon them on the head with our our doctrines. We are not to to force it down their throat. We we ought to bring it the the, the good news, which is the good news of grace of, of Christ. And bring it in that fashion, in, in gentleness in in understandingness, um, wanting to win them over for Christ for that purpose. Yeah, Peter, last one.
4: There, a yes, should. Be.
0: Touched on this briefly and then we'll, we'll move on. But I believe, like, uh, even Tim, when he was going over uh, that story, that scene in Mark, um, there's an emphasis on Christ kind of imposing his authority. He's showcasing his authority there over those people, those, those Pharisees, those false teachers who were um, perverting the Word of God and perverting. They, yeah, they had a lot of knowledge, but they were not using it for its intended purposes. And Christ coming in with all that gusto and, and fury is is really uh, a testament to his authority. He is cleaning out his house.
4: I do know the word, and I see you doing something deliberately in this place, right here, right now. Is it not my job to take you to the side and you, or, or, you know, not to be sweet and yeah, loving? Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I mean,
0: there is uh, definitely a call to rebuke Um, but then again we are we are not in the same position as Christ thank you Tim
1: it's always tricky just knowing what to do with the fact that Jesus you know is somewhat unique in some ways as the God man but there's truth in I've heard someone say I think there's a lot of wisdom in this lots of the proud praise so if somebody is hearted and I think especially Those who are more um, of a softer disposition or aren't like hurting, actively hurting others in a position of authority, it's appropriate to be more... Um, and that, it, it's all in kindness and love, but, but there's going to be a difference in the tone. seems like you see that in Jesus. We can definitely
0: interact over this uh, later, but I'll press on. Uh, our fourth manifestation of pride. I'll uh, we'll be quick with this one is a pride of an independent spirit. Um, So this really just comes in the form of being unteachable or resistant to authority. Um, You might immediately think of children, um, those younger in the faith. uh, They might be prideful in thinking that they know it all. Uh, They don't want to be taught. They don't want to listen to their parents. That's often how it comes up with children. But even adults, um, we ought to be teachable in submitting to authority. Are you just driven by your own opinion um, that does not even appeal to the Word, uh, and you make your opinion out to be authoritative, or uh, are you student? Are you a student of the Word? Are you um, first going to the Word and submitting to that authority, and uh, being teachable to what God has there for you? Um, a quick guardrail, a quick caution. We don't want to overcorrect again. Um, some, we ought to submit to authority that has your best interest in mind at heart, and, and uh, hopefully that authority speaks with biblical wisdom, right? That's, uh, that's what we hope and what we look after, especially in kind of discipleship opportunities, uh, even as we submit to our elders um, who keep watch over our souls. Um, we want to seek and submit to authority that, that has their, their wisdom rooted in Scripture, Um, And they, being rooted in Scripture, have our best interests, have our spiritual health in in mind there. Um, So yeah, we're going to move on to putting pride to death. Um, You'll see there I have a little section for defense and a little section for offense. Uh, The way I want us to kind of understand how we should apply these things um, and be proactive about putting sin to death is... There's a, the sense in which we guard against and we, we flush out our own tendencies and guard against those uh, temptations. But there's also a sense in which we go on the offense and we apply and put on Christlikeness. Um, so when we defend against pride, um, we first got to acknowledge that we have no achievements outside of what the Lord has given to us. We kind of mentioned this earlier. Only God is almighty only God is sovereign. Uh, only God is worthy of all praise. Um, and recognizing that, hopefully, you're able to identify some some pride points, um, things that stir you up to be boastful, to be self-righteous. Um, but even here, as you recognize those things about yourself, as you recognize those subtle sins. Um, apply the gospel again we go back to the gospel apply the gospel the lord has given us the spirit to help us to be convicted to reveal to us the subtleness and the deceitfulness of pride Um, and we pray and we cry out to the spirit to to sanctify us to transform us Um, because oftentimes this is a heart issue it might be harder to get someone on the outside to help you flush out your your pride or your your tendencies that, that uh, lead to prideful sin um, so this heart issue really is uh, a job for the Holy Spirit that we must depend on him to call us out there and then on the flip side, so we're looking out for those we're being on guard for those things we're putting on humility um, kind of like what Gary had uh, alluded to humility um, is the opposite of pride uh, we ought to seek to bring God glory we ought to seek to exalt God and not ourselves. Um, in 1 Peter 5, 5-6, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So there we, we see that chain of thought, through our humbling of ourselves, through recognizing who God is and and uh, recognizing that God opposes pride, we humble ourselves under His hand. Not so that we will exalt ourselves once again, but God Himself will exalt us. Um, and that is that is a that's a blessed promise. We can we can be assured that God is not just trying to put us down and keep us down and make us into nothing but he he loves us and he desires for us to be exalted uh, in fullness when christ comes Um, and i'll I'll close this sin with isaiah 66 verse 2 and it reads this is the one whom i will look he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word hopefully we we aspire we pray that the spirit would help us to be humble and contrite in spirit um, and to honor God's word. Yeah. So any questions on pride before we wrap up? I think
2: one helpful way, like the defense-offense thing you're looking at, like that's the scriptural kind of methodology a lot of ways, right? It's, you know, we've, we've been reading Colossians over and over again, which and I have um, together, and it's put off.
0: Thank you, yeah. Appreciate that. Go uh, We can't just be saying no, no, no to sin without replacing it with something else, with Christlikeness. Appreciate So let's move on to selfishness. Um, Our our section on selfishness will really uh, revolve around the passage Philippians 2, uh, verse 3 to 4. Can someone uh, read that for us? Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4. Josh, thank you.
2: Doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another is more important than yourselves, Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests
0: of others. So our working definition of selfishness will be this. Selfishness is a self-prioritizing heart disposition. It's the sin of putting your own needs and concerns above others. It's a self-prioritizing heart disposition. The sin of putting your own needs and concerns above others. So it's not even that you don't recognize that other people's concerns and needs are important or urgent. But the sin plays out in that you think that yours are more important and more urgent. There's ways to justify it, of course. Uh, Maybe I deserve this because I'm tired, or or I'm older, or I work harder, uh, which could be legitimate reasons, especially as you parse out day-to-day decisions and and sharing things day-to-day. But did you you stop to even consider the other person's reasons? You know your reasons very well. You know your own justifications, um, your own needs and concerns. But the pride of selfishness completely forgoes you even considering someone else's needs and concerns. Um, Selfishness is sinful also because it neglects to consider God who knows and considers all our needs and concerns. So, kind of going back to ungodliness, we take it upon ourselves to meet our own needs and concerns because we lack trust that God himself will do that for us. It magnifies ourselves and our significance, uh, certainly more than others, but even more than God sometimes. It kind of manifests its, itself in, in you saying, I should serve myself and I should be served. Uh, the selfish person is, is not only indifferent to others' interests, but ex- expects his own to be met first. His own needs and his own concerns ought to be met first. So what does selfishness look like? Um, Well, there's a variety of uh, arenas where selfishness can uh, creep up. Um, Money is probably one of those things that first come to mind. Uh, You can be tempted to think that, well, this is my hard-earned money. I worked 40 hours a week for this. I earned this money. I personally work at a bank. I hear that a lot. This is my money. Why can't I have my money? But you have to realize that this money was given to us by God. God is the one who provides for us, uh, certainly monetarily, but in other means as well. So he is the one who we ought to give thanks for, for that money. He's the one who provides, and he's also the one who provides according to our needs and our concerns, because he knows our needs and concerns the best. Uh, in our sinfulness, we might think we need something at a certain time in a certain way. And when the Lord provides in a different way, in a different timing, we we tend to not trust that. We tend to not understand why he would do it in that way. But God, he gives us more than we deserve, as we kind of mentioned earlier. What do we deserve in our sin is death, but he gives abundantly more than that. So selfishness in in terms of money, uh, as you ponder this, is not necessarily not sharing, very blatant refusal to not sharing, but maybe it might come up like this. When someone comes up to you with their needs or concerns, maybe you respond with, well, let me take stock of what I have first. And If I have enough, if I have extra, I'll share with you. Or if they come up with their needs, you respond with, well, that's your problem. Don't don't come to me for that. You should have saved up your money. You should have been wiser with how you spend. You should you're dealing with that. That's not my issue. So in a very subtle way, or sometimes not so subtle, um, selfishness with money uh, really just drives how we how we sol- how we serve ourselves according to our definition. Again, um, any questions on that? On, on money, selfishness and money. David. So the pride and selfishness are really just two sides of the same coin, or tree trunk, if
3: you will. Um, it's hard to imagine somebody being prideful and not selfish, mm-hmm. or being selfish, and not, not stemming from pride. I mean, uh, it seems like they're really closely connected. Definitely
0: Very closely related, I, I will say, yeah. it's It's hard to imagine one who does not want to share, or one who is selfish does not think of himself highly. I, I'm pretty sure they would, they would think of himself and exalt himself in that way. Yeah, that's a good point. On. So there's also selfishness with time. Uh, we often guard our own time for our own ends, our own means. This kind of portrays itself in an attitude of, I don't have time for you. My time is more important than yours. Uh, time is objectively a limited commodity. I want to make that clear. We, we work, maybe some of you work eight hours a day. Um, you have commute time. You have time for your personal hygiene. Of course, you sleep um, however many hours you sleep during the day, and there's only so much time left over. And the question is, what do you do with that time? Are you like me, and you just squander it away on social media and YouTube? Um, are you using it for the sake of others? Um, that is really where we see selfishness creep up with time.
4: YouTube videos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if that's your job, maybe, it, maybe it'll uh, prove useful and serve others that way. Yeah. Um, so we, we can be very selfish with time, even though it's a, it's a very subtle thing. It's a daily thing. It's daily decision, daily, daily call that we make. Uh, how are we going to spend our time today? There's some the other more subtle ways. Um, you could also be imposing on other people's time. So you might need help. You have your needs and concerns, and you go up to your busy wife or your busy husband and say, hey, can you help me out with this? When they're very clearly busy making dinner or mowing the lawn, like, hey, I need you to help me glue this cabinet door shut. Maybe that would not be the wisest thing to to impose yourself on someone's time like that. Uh, you have to recognize, again, in our selfishness, we forego, and we don't even think to to recognize that other people, surprisingly, they have their own struggles and, and needs and concerns. Uh, and, and in our selfishness, we put our own above that. Another way um, we can be selfish with time, and I'm very guilty of this, is being late or tardy. It seems like a very common thing. Uh, maybe some of you guys are very punctual, and you know, I can't relate to this at all, but being late or tardy is, is a way that we are selfish with time. Uh, we ought to be courteous of other people's plans and schedules, um, especially if you are meeting up with someone, they blocked out that time in their schedule for you. And if they you arrive, I'm not even going to say half an hour, maybe five minutes late, that is time that they blocked out for you, that they could be using Uh, wisely in other places for other people. Uh, Being late or tardy, um, as we think about this more, affects the quality of events. Say, I was late, maybe I was late today to equipping hour, and I got here at 9.15 instead of 9. Then I'd be rushing a lot more than I already am. I'd be scrambling to get uh, the whole lesson done, uh, being down 15 minutes. It affects the quality of events and practical operations where. There is a very real time constraint and limit. So, there we have selfishness with time. We have uh, one more selfishness with interests. And this one is a, a quick one. We all have things that we're interested we, in, we all have subjects that we like to talk about. Um, interests here, um, Jerry Bridges kind of deviates from interests being mentioned in Philippians 2, uh, there it means needs and concerns, but here Jerry Bridges is very much honing in on things that we are interested by, interested in. So how can we be selfish with our interests? Well, if I like this thing, I'm just going to talk your ear off about it. I'm just keep talking and talking and talking. And it's a very one-sided conversation. In that scenario, you don't even consider that someone very much might not like what you're talking about or have no interest um, I imagine married couples, uh, that's something you had to learn even as you were dating and now you're married, there are still things uh, that you are very much more interested in than your spouse and it's a constant effort to fight against selfishness uh, and not overwhelm them with the, the plethora of facts that you might have in your head um, but, it, it, but selfishness in interest goes even more subtle than that it can be even as subtle as inattentive listening when we have conversation with people you're just there nodding along and not only are you nodding along and not really listening uh, but maybe you catch on to something and all you can think about in your head is what you want to respond with i think this uh this subtleness of the sin can be extremely detrimental especially when in situations of like counseling or giving advice and giving wisdom to someone someone mentions and shares their need or concern and you latch onto something and all you can think about is formulating a nice packaged response to them you want to put in that bible verse you want to put in a reference here you want to really tie it up nicely with a bow but while you were doing that mentally you just didn't listen to anything else that they said you just only listen to formulate your own answers, um, and even to the point of maybe you are doing that so you could be smart, you could exalt yourself and appear wise and and smart sounding, uh, making conversation to be a very like transactional, functional kind of thing there. So that's the selfishness in interests. Is there are there any questions? I know we blew through those three. Any questions about? selfishness so far I look at any questions at all all right going so gonna we're gonna close it out yeah out time for yourself self-care many of you yeah many of you maybe after work you want to wind down you have that time to wind down and uh, your spouse knows very well not to impose on that something like that I would what I would say to that is as we as we discuss sin the, the purpose is not to find the line and walk right against it and to be as close to the line of sin as we can without committing the sin. I would say in that kind of situation, um, not only do you carve out that time for them, but it is, it is more beneficial. It is more uh, selfless. It is more serving of others to forego, knowing that, yeah, I'm tired from my shift today. Um, I could really use maybe just 30 minutes um, to myself. But that is the, the aspect of selflessness that we can use to combat selfishness. Right, we are as, as tough as that may sound <laughs> in our day to day week and, and in practice um, ask yourself what what gives more glory to God my hour on YouTube when I get home from work or me listening to my housemates uh, work troubles when he gets home um, there is one over the other that is more Christ like that is more um, yeah, lending to give glory to God uh, that's
1: just one thing too, is like, on the one hand, biblically, it's true, like, everything we're seeing that it's better to give than to receive, and we're to have a Christ-like mind that looks the of others. There's also humility in recognizing our creatureliness and our needs, like, I need sleep, I need to eat, you know. Um, it's not selfish. I mean, Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, it's assumed. You have certain needs, you're going to meet them. But it's going to be very contextual knowing what that's going to look like a given situation. Like there are some situations where it's fine, it's just acknowledging your humble, humbly acknowledging your creatureliness to get a good night of sleep. That's fine, that's a good night of body. If your spouse is getting no sleep because you have a newborn and you're getting eight hours, that's selfish. <laughs> so what normally would be wise, humble stewardship of your body in that context can become selfish. Um, so it's always a matter of assessing like, what's the, what are the relationships is it costing others for me to do this for myself? But it's not like always, no matter what, you just um, deny yourself every bodily need. That's not the
2: book
0: we need. I'll harp on myself again. Um, my hour of YouTube is probably not all that, even though it's for the purpose, supposedly for rest, probably is not all that helpful in providing me rest. But if I were maybe needing really throughout the day recognizing that man i need to really pray when i get home or um, really take time to meditate on god's word um, i think there's very good value and, and reason to do that um, and maybe tell someone else like, hey I, I just need this time to myself uh, we're gonna move on sorry david <laughs> uh, we're gonna close out with putting selfishness to death so again we have this defense and offense the the putting off the putting on uh, the defense is still rooted in Philippians 2-4. And uh, Jerry Bridges brings out a good point that I thought was important to, to highlight. Put off, put off selfishness in the context of family. Um, I know for myself, if I'm here on Sunday or here at church or out and about at work um, with friends, I'm probably going to be a little bit more on guard against coming off selfish or coming off as, as uh, you know, self-serving. Uh, Especially if I'm here at church, I I might not be as keen to, you know, hog things to myself or or be self-centered. But in the context of family, man, that is where selfishness can really bear its ugly fangs, right? So the the context or the the application here is really ask your family to point out selfish tendencies in your life or in your character and your uh, actions at home. Um, ask them this kindly and ask them this without getting defensive or retaliating by saying oh well you pointed this out in me I can point out a whole list in you Um, but really just at home that that is one of the the key areas in which we tend to be selfish Uh, we maybe have our normal responsibilities and duties um, that are laid out between you and your wife or you and your husband and someone needs help and you're just going to say nope i don't have time for that that's your job you cook the dinner i'll mow the lawn that's that's uh, that's what we agreed on but practicing to or that's that's a great arena to put to death selfishness there um and then another way we can put off selfishness is by balancing our own interests with others with a servant heart uh, it takes knowing and wanting to know more about others interests um, not only We all know our own interests, we all know our own concerns and needs, um, but recognize that in yourself, and recognize that, man, I don't really know the needs and concerns of this person I'm talking to, or interacting with. Uh, Be sensitive during conversation, and even afterwards, if you're really keen on putting selfishness to death, kind of reflect on maybe a conversation you had with someone, and ask yourself, "Was was I just talking too much? Was I just talking about me too much? Uh, Was I giving space to someone else to talk and share? So those are ways that we can be on guard against selfishness. And of course, we go on the offense. We go on the offense and consider Christ. Um, If you continue to read in Philippians 2, uh, verse 5 to 8, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on cross. So this is what we ought to put on this, this Christ like humility. Consider Christ, the selfless God man, he literally God himself humbled himself to the to flesh to be on this earth, to die for sinners that were undeserving of his death. Consider Christ as you put on humility. So as we wrap up our conclusion, I I have a verse there um, that's in all three of those Gospels. Um, But deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. What does this look like? We'll bring it back to the Gospel once again. Um, When we apply the Gospel to ourselves, you cannot help but recognize that you are sinful. Recognize your sinful, self-centered nature. Recognize that we all have it. And then when you recognize your sin, go out and deny your sinful desires and your sinful tendencies. Deny yourself your own glory. Deny yourself your own exaltation. Sometimes you might be called to even deny your own needs and concerns, of course, with wisdom. Pick up your cross. Look to the cross and preach the gospel to yourself. Apply the gospel in its fullness to your sin. There is no room to be self-exalted when God is the exalted one. There is no room for for continued sin against others when God is the one who cares for you and others. And the gospel also gives us the freedom. We know that in Christ we have freedom from sin. We no longer are under the dominion of sin. We have the Spirit who helps us to live as, as his saints. And that is the gospel applied to yourself. And then lastly, knowing the gospel, we live the cruciform, self-denying life as ones who have died to themselves and have been raised with Christ. So that is that's kind of the reason why I bring up the gospel as we tackle these respectable sins Truly, it's it's how we confront and battle and live in in light of our sin. It's it's through the gospel there. Um, and next week, hopefully, we'll pick up some more tools as we as we battle uh, more sins. Uh, there's a couple more next week, uh, a good handful. But for now, uh, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of your your grand design of your gracious and loving design for for redemptive history it's it's mind-boggling that Christ would come down in the form of flesh to die for us uh, he'd come down and humble himself to be a man and God we have much freedom and many blessings in Christ because of that because of his work on the cross and I pray that as we as we continue to discuss these respectable sins as we continue to dissect them, and and study them, uh, we would be convicted. Convict us with your spirit and transform us with your spirit. um, And help us to help each other to that end as the local church. We pray these things in Christ's name.